Oh, sorry about that. I'll never get used to that stink and the filth of these dungeon cells. How anyone can stay in there for more than a few minutes is beyond, beyond me. Well, welcome. My name is Pastore Calvinius. And I am a soldier stationed here at Mamertine Prison. Uh, being a soldier assigned to a prison, I mean, it, it's okay, I suppose. It, it doesn't pay much. But I serve the emperor. I can take care of my family, put a little bit of money into savings. And for me, the hours are, are pretty good. And that's what really matters, right? I mean, I guess my life is pretty good. And this place, this building might not look like much, but, but it's not supposed to look good. It does what it needs to do, which is simply to hold the enemies of Rome, the enemies of Nero, until they are to be executed. Nero is our emperor now, and believe me, since he's taken power, he's made full use of this place. The cells here are as filled as I've ever seen them in my time. No one, Nero seems especially, to have a thing for these Christians. Those ones who follow that Jesus Christ guy. But Jesus has been dead for what, like 30, 30 years now. And yet there are still hundreds, maybe thousands that follow him. And from what I understand, their numbers are, are growing each and every day. Crazy. It's beyond me. Well, if Nero had his way, he'd imprison, he'd torture, and he'd have them all executed. You know that it was probably him who set fire to the city, right? That fire that happened a little while ago that almost wiped out the entire city? Rumor has it that actually it was Nero who set that. And he did it so he could blame the Christians. And then Christians, he'd have more reason to arrest them. If you want my advice, if you're a Christian, if you're one of these Christ followers, keep a low profile. Keep quiet. Don't say too much. Even get out of town. Nero, I think he's a little, well, crazy. Ever since Nero started arresting and imprisoning all these Christians, I've learned that this group is a peculiar bunch. Most of them are, are like many of the other prisoners here. They come in and they're screaming and yelling about how they're innocent and they don't deserve this and so on, blah, blah, blah. But Nero doesn't care. And quite frankly, neither do I. If you're in here and you want out, it's simple. Pledge allegiance to Nero, and maybe, just maybe, he'll show you mercy. Don't disown your Jesus, and you'll end up like so many of the other Christians. These other Christians have been killed in horrific ways. 
simply for the emperors and for the Roman citizens' amusement. They've been fed to lions. They've been made to wear skins of dead animals, and then the dogs have been set on them, and they've torn them apart. I've heard that in Nero's courthouse, he lights them up as human torches. And, of course, his favorite, crucifixion. If it's cruel, if it hurts, Nero's going to try it. But we've got a guy in here now who's, well, he's a bit different. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a prisoner like him before. You may have heard of him. His name is Paul. And he's being kept in one of the worst areas of the prison. I was just actually down to see him. I had heard of this Paul, again, about 30 years ago. I heard he was almost as bad as Nero when it came to persecuting Christians. Not as cruel, maybe, but just as passionate about arresting them and putting these fanatics in prison and making sure that they were executed. Something must have happened. Something must have happened, like, overnight, where he went from imprisoning and killing Christians to becoming one himself and spreading this message of Jesus. He's been doing it all over the world, from what I understand. An amazing transformation, really. I've never experienced anyone do a 180 like that, certainly not in my time. Well, all this preaching Jesus has got Paul thrown in prison, and he's going to be executed very soon, any day now, in fact. He's lucky he's a Roman citizen. He'll avoid really all the real painful ways of dying. He'll likely be beheaded, quick, painless. But his buddy Peter, who's also in here, he's not going to be so lucky. Executing both Peter and Paul, I know, are high on Nero's list. They're seen as the leaders. They're the ringleaders of this Christian group. They're leading the pack. Killing them will be like cutting the head off a snake. Maybe this Christian uprising will end for good. But like I said, this Paul guy, he's different from all of the other prisoners we've had in here. He's not pleading and begging for his life. He continues to talk about Jesus. He certainly isn't going to renounce Jesus and pledge fealty to Nero. Prison hasn't broken him at all. In fact, quite the opposite. His faith in this Jesus seems even stronger. <laughs> he keeps trying to convince me to follow his Jesus. No way I'm turning my back on Nero. I'm not risking my neck. I mean, I kind of like this Paul guy. He's gentle. He's compassionate. He doesn't complain like most of the other guys. But this obsession with Jesus, I just don't know that I'll ever get it. What's that? I'll be back, just a minute. That's Paul calling. We're not really supposed to respond to them, but I, like I said, I, I, I kind of like this guy. Just give me a second. 
What is it? What do you need? What's this? Okay. And you want me to give it to who? Well, you know I need to ask you some questions, right? Where is it going? Ephesus. And to whom? Timothy. Okay, well, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Paul's asking if I can pass this letter on to someone who then could deliver it to, uh, what did he say? To Timothy, Timothy in the city of Ephesus. You know, we allow the prisoners to have the occasional visitor. Uh, come to think of it, Paul's really only had one visitor. Strange for someone who's supposed to be a leader in this Jesus thing. Anyways, as I was saying, we allow the occasional visitor. And we allow letters to go out, but we have to read them ahead just to make sure there's no plots to escape, no plots against Nero or any other uprising. Give me a minute here while I just take a look at what he's written. Let's see. Paul, right? An apostle of Jesus Christ. Whatever. To Timothy, my dear son. Hmm. Well, these two are close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I'm not seeing anything that points to a plot or an escape plan of any kind. It sounds like there's real problems in Ephesus, for the Christians anyway. Paul talks something about false teachers and false teaching and persecution. Just Timothy. Sounds like he's a leader there. This Timothy's in a rough ride by the sounds of it, in for a rough ride by the sounds of it. Well, these are interesting last words here. Listen to what Paul writes to close this letter. It doesn't matter if I'm betraying his trust. He'll never know. This is what he writes here, the last part of his letter. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. He must be talking about Timothy. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed, with, uh, stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. 
Grace be with you all. You know, we learn a lot about a person when they face the certainty of death. All kinds of things come out that that reveal who they are and what they value, who and what are most important. You discover for that person what really matters. Even though I've had the unpleasant experience of seeing many deaths and hearing the many cries and pleas from those who are about to die, they really are the same. Most of them plead for their lives. They beg for their loved ones. It gets all just so boring after a while. But this Paul, again, there's something different about him. I see it in his attitude. I see it in how he conducts himself here. I see it in the words of this letter. In fact, as I'm reading this letter, I really see to Paul what really matters. Now, the first thing I see, and I I bet you saw it too, was that people really matter to Paul. Those Paul loved, like Timothy and Mark, he wanted them to come in to visit him. Mark. Where have I heard that name before? I remember hearing something about a big fight, a big argument, a big disagreement between Paul and Mark. Yeah, they they had quite a bitter argument at one time. Well, they must have settled their differences if Paul, in what is likely his last hours on earth, wants him to come and see him. Luke, that's the guy who keeps coming to see him. That's the only visitor that Paul has. He's the only one that seems to care that he's in prison here. Obviously, he's someone important to Paul. Then you see those who supported Paul and partnered with him in all of this Jesus stuff. Crescens and Titus and Tychicus. And at the end, Priscilla and Aquila. And then he brings Onesiphorus, his household, again. He talks about Onesiphorus earlier in his letter as well. These people were obviously important to him. They mattered. But you know, he also names... Demas and Alexander and those who opposed him. But he trusts that God will deal with them justly. And he talks about those who deserted him in his time of need, and he tells Timothy not to hold it against them. He's a pretty forgiving guy. Shows me that others really mattered to him more than himself. I certainly know I couldn't say those words if I was in his shoes. I'd be looking for revenge. I'd try to sully their names, destroy their reputations. I'd certainly try to get even. But not Paul. Seems like to Paul, people really mattered. But there's more. Let me repeat some of what he writes. He says, Mark is helpful to me in my ministry. Then he warns against some guy, Alexander, and to be careful because he, what did he say? He, He strongly opposed our message. Mark is helpful to me in my ministry. Be careful of Alexander because he strongly opposed our message. And then he says, the Lord stood by his side and gave him strength so that through him the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. Hmm. This message, this mission, must have really mattered to Paul. Judging by the rest of the letter, this mission that Paul was centered on had something to do with uh, something he called the gospel. 
Something about Jesus and knowing Jesus and spreading the message of Jesus. Something about being in a relationship with Jesus. How can that be? Jesus has been dead, like I said, for, for what, 30 some years? Sure, where there are these stories and rumors about how he rose from the dead, but even still, who commits their entire lives to a message like that? An entire, uh, who commits their lives to a mission like this? It must have really meant something to Paul that he would devote everything to sharing this message with others. My days are more or less the same. I wake up, I come to work, I go home, spend some time with my family, do a few things I enjoy, perhaps go to bed, wake up and repeat. Once a month, I get paid. So I pay my bills, I make sure I have enough for the month's expenses ahead. That's really my life. This Paul, he never got paid. As far as I can tell, he never had a home, not much of a family. He didn't have much in life. Yet he committed himself to knowing this Jesus and carrying this message and this gospel mission. See, even if I believed all of this nonsense, I don't know how committed I would be to it. Well, it's obvious from his writing here that for Paul, the mission mattered. The mission really mattered. And connected to the mission, do you know what else I see? Sacrifice really matters to Paul. Was it just me, or did you find it peculiar that, what did he say in here? He said, uh, uh, bring me the cloak that he left at, uh, what's his name, Carpus's home in Troas. Did you not find that odd? Troas is like, what, a thousand miles away? Who in the world would travel all that way just to pick up a cloak, even if it's for a good friend? I mean, I know winter's coming. And the winters here are cold. I also know that the prisoners often use their cloaks as, as bedding to make them more comfortable while they rest. I mean, this is not a hotel. You know that. When Paul came into the prison, he hardly had anything on him or anything with him. It's a good thing because the arresting officers kind of have this sort of tradition. When they arrest someone, they'll take whatever possessions the person has in, in, at, at that moment and they'll roll dice and they'll gamble for them to split it up among the guards. Maybe that's all Paul really had, a cloak. So he left it with a friend instead of possibly losing it to some of our guards. Maybe Paul was just sacrificing any material gains and material comforts and all he really had to his name was this cloak. I mean, I don't make a lot of money, but I have a home. I have some nice clothes. I even have a horse. Me and my family have food each day. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I make some sacrifices. Sometimes when the jails are extra full like they are now, I need to work some extra hours and some extra shifts. I get paid for those, I suppose. So even when money is tight, I need to pick up a few extra shifts so I can make a little more. But this Paul, he was so committed to this mission, this gospel thing, that he was willing to sacrifice everything for it. And now he's probably going to make the ultimate sacrifice, that of his life. 
I don't know that I've ever been so passionate about anything as to be willing to give up my life for it. Well, for Paul, sacrifice really matters. There's a couple more things I see in here that stand out. Look again at what Paul is requesting from his friend Timothy. He asked for his cloak, but he's also asking for his scrolls, especially the parchments. How did he put that? Yeah. And my scroll, yeah, especially the parchments. Paul's not asking for reading material, is he? I mean, the, the dungeons are pretty dark. We allow them a candle. I suppose if he wanted to read, he could, and maybe that's how he passes his time. But I don't think that's what he's looking for. Hmm. I've heard from other prisoners that they have these writings. These Christians have these writings. Inspired writings is, I think, the phrase I've heard. These writings that guide this Jesus people group. I've heard, yeah, they call them scriptures. I've even read a few. Maybe that's, that must be what Paul's asking for. I guess for Paul, Scripture matters. I've heard from these Christians, they call their writings the Word of God. Now, if that were truly the Word of God, I'll tell you what. First, I would treasure them. I mean, could you imagine written words from God? Boy, I'd hold on to those tight. They might be even my most treasured and valued possession. The other thing I think about if I, if I consider these as the word of God is, you know what, I'd, I'd probably obey them. I'd do what they said. I've seen a lot, and I mean I've seen a lot of these Christians coming through here, and not many know their scriptures, and not many live according to them. Paul's letter mentioned another name. What was it again? Oh, yeah, De Demas? And how he loved the world. He left Paul because he loved the world. That's actually more the Christian I'm familiar with. Yeah, they put on a brave face when they're with other Christians, but you turn around and they're just like everyone else. This Paul, he might be an enemy of Nero, but from what I've seen, he lives in a way that is consistent with what he says he believes and what these scriptures teach. I can respect that. I can even admire that. I guess for Paul, these scriptures, these words of God, really mattered. There's one more thing I noticed. Where was that in the letter? Oh, yeah, 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 here. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says these words. He says, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Seems to me that Paul had hope. Hope in God, and that really mattered. You know, look around. A place like this is designed really for one thing. Yes, it's designed to hold prisoners on death row. 
It's designed to keep prisoners from escaping or communicating with the outside world. It's designed to hold prisoners as they wait their execution. It's filthy. It's disgusting. And yes, Nero has been cruel, even sadistic in the way he has tortured and the way he has executed Christians. But beyond the, the filth and beyond the torture, this place was really made for one thing, and that is to take away a person's hope. And the loss of hope is perhaps the most torturous thing of all. Without hope, a man, or a woman for that matter, might as well be dead. But this Paul, he has hope despite the circumstances and everything that we're putting him through. Did you hear what he wrote? His hope is in God and in this heavenly kingdom. You know, it seems to me that Paul has hope because he believes that there's something more to life than just the here and now. It's almost like he believes that something is coming after he dies, and he's looking forward to whatever that might be. What if that's true? What if there is something more than just what we see here? Have you ever thought about that? What if it's true that there's something more coming after we die? Well, that would change everything about how we live in the present, wouldn't it? Shouldn't it? Seems to me that Paul lived with hope even in his most dire of, most dire of earthly circumstances. That hope can only come if there's something else beyond all of this. And so I see for Paul that hope and his hope in God really matters. As I said, this prisoner, Paul, being like no one else I've ever seen or even met. I've never known a prisoner or even a person like him. And in my experience, especially working here, when faced with adversity or with even death, you see what really matters. There's never been any desperation with Paul. He's always talking about this Jesus fellow. There's never been any resignation. He seems to always be on this mission. There's never been any hopelessness. Rather, there's been a calm and a longing for whatever comes, even if it comes after life. How can anyone face death, a torturous death, with, with that kind of confidence? There was another part of the letter that he wrote to Timothy I, I want to read here. That's, here, here. Here it is. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I've never had anyone express that kind of sentiment, that kind of peace, that kind of assurance in their final days or in their final hours. It makes me wonder, what will my attitude be when my time comes? 
I mean, I work in a jail now. It's pretty safe, but I could be called to the battlefield at any moment. A prisoner could get a weapon of some kind and perhaps attack me and, and I won't know it. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Even if I have the chance to die of old age, how will I face the end? Well, I sure would rather face it like Paul than some of the other blubbering fools and idiots that I've seen going through this place. I wonder if it's because Paul knew what really matters. His letters showed that people really mattered, that Jesus and his mission really mattered, that sacrifice really mattered, that the word of God really mattered, and that his hope and trust in God really mattered. You know, maybe I need to take some time so I can answer that question. In my life, what really matters? And maybe that's the question each of you need to ask yourself as well. What really matters? Well, I said I would find someone to deliver this message to Timothy in Ephesus. So I guess I'll go do that now. Paul, kind of like this guy. Thanks, Pastor Kel. Can I have the worship team join us on stage here? Uh, and as they are, uh, Colin, can you put up the one slide with the membership just so that we can see it? I'll make a comment on it. Uh, this morning at the end of the service, we're going to welcome those people who are new members. And so if you see your name on this slide, or if you don't see your name on the slide, you can still you know, come up for this. Uh, and so when you see me come up again at, at the end of the song, if you could just join me right up front here, I would like to be able to welcome you and, and, and pray for you officially. So uh, why don't we um, stand and we're going to sing a, cl a closing song together. And again, for those of you that are part of our family, you know that the altar is also open at this time, meaning that we would love to be able to pray for people. And so if you have come and you have any needs, we'd love to pray for you. If you're a guest and you want to be prayed for, just you can join the staff or you can move around and pray for each other as well. So let's stand and we'll sing this, this closing song.
Sing words. 